This is a Federal News Network podcast. September promises to be something of a mess on Capitol Hill. Federal agencies and contractors are already figuring Congress won't pass 2022 appropriations on time, and therefore the government will operate under a continuing resolution. Now the question of supplemental appropriations will stack the agenda even higher. We get the outlook from Bloomberg Government Editorial Director Lauren Duggan. And Lauren, let's start with this week because of the shortened week from Labor Day and then Rosh Hashanah coming seemingly early. Not much on the formal agenda. That's correct. Whereas normally Labor Day is the big kickoff to fall work on Capitol Hill this week, it's or this month, it's starting a lot slower because, as you mentioned, Labor Day and Rosh Hashanah. But it won't be completely quiet on Capitol Hill as lawmakers in the House are continuing to work at the committee level on this massive tax and spending plan that they're working to pull together to advance many of their social spending priorities that President Biden wants and that many congressional Democrats are hoping they can use the next couple of weeks and months to assemble this package and get it over the finish line. But it sounds like for some Democrats, and Joe Manchin of West Virginia has said it explicitly, but many others, this big bill is just a mile too far for some of them, possibly. This bill was always going to be a big lift, given the small majorities that the Democrats have in both the House and the Senate. Obviously, the Senate, it's 50-50. They have to keep every Democrat in line to get anything over, even using this reconciliation process that can cut Republicans out, basically. Um, but even in the House, they only have a basically a three-vote margin to spare on this piece of legislation, um, which is where we saw in August, where they came back to pass the first thing, the budget resolution to kick this process off. There was the interplay with this bipartisan infrastructure bill that's also playing out and will continue once they come back and start looking at this package on the House floor later this month. Well, it's a good thing Yom Kippur is next week, then they can all atone for their sins they commit this week. But is it safe to say that a lot of backroom kinds of negotiations and buttonholing and so forth, that will be going on right now. That will be going on. And you can see the House proceeding with this because if there's enough support in the House to get this bill over the line, they might even pass it and send it to the Senate. And that puts extra pressure on Senate Democrats to try to come together and move forward on this package. And and just to remind listeners, this could be up to $3.5 trillion in spending. Some of that would be offset through tax increases, but this could touch everything from more child tax credits to climate change programs to a path to citizenship for some immigrants. So this this is going to be a lot of Democratic priorities, a lot of spending, some taxes, you know, tax relief for some families and people, but then also increasing taxes in other areas to help pay for this. And there's still the other infrastructure bill yet to pass, too. That's right. The Senate, before it left for its August recess, sent this package over to the House. It would increase spending by $550 billion, some of that offset. Um, And that's, I guess it's guaranteed at least consideration before the end of the month. That was the only way that the moderate Democrats in the House, there were nine or 10 of them, who said they wouldn't move forward on that reconciliation process unless they got a vote written down and kind of scheduled with a calendar date circled. And that's September 27th is the date where that has to at least come up for debate. And then we'll see what happens with that vis-a-vis this other package. We're speaking with Bloomberg Government Editorial Director Lauren Duggan. And where does all of that leave the regular 2022 appropriations? Well, that process has moved along. Um, In the House, they've passed nine of the 12 
bills got the other three out of committee as well. The Senate, before it left for its August break, did three bills out of committee. They're waiting for floor action. Where the main stumbling point could be here is they still don't have a House-Senate agreement on how much to spend in total, at least in a way that has Republican buy-in. Those bills will still have to get over that 60-vote threshold in the Senate, so Republicans have a say. Um, And a complicating factor is now you have the House Armed Services and Senate Armed Services Committee essentially endorsing more defense spending than Democrats thought they were going to be working with based off of what President Biden requested. So the gap there and how much to spend on defense could complicate this, especially if there's pressure to bring down some of the spending that they wanted to do on the domestic side. So um, as you mentioned at the outset, a continuing resolution is almost guaranteed at this point, given that the House doesn't even get back to town till September 20th for floor votes. So, you know, there's not going to be a lot of time to really do much other than kick the can into November, December, and make sure that the government's funded while some of these other things are worked through. And there's a little maybe tinge of irony in that they are talking about supplemental appropriations to respond to the horrible disasters that affected its going on in California with the fires and the floods that got the Gulf states, New York, Pennsylvania, New England, some really wreckage stuff going on there. And also for the aftermath of Afghanistan could cost money. That's right. And um, we even saw last week the Louisiana delegation, mostly made up of Republicans, one Democrat as well, but they already came out and called for some additional aid for Louisiana. And now the storm obviously has gone through the Northeast and caused a lot of damage in New York, New Jersey, obviously going to cost more there. So you could see not just FEMA, which is often what we think of first in disasters, but other programs, everything from community development block grants to small business administration help to whatever you might need in a package like that. So as the disasters mount around the country, um, that will help, uh, you know, that will increase costs and probably require some sort of action by Congress that if it if they can get everything together, that could be part of the continuing resolution or it could be a separate item that gets added to the to do list. Well, an angry mother nature is at least bipartisan. And then what about the NDAA that had a little bit of advancement already? That's right. The Armed Services Committee on the House side came together despite the August recess to work for many, many hours in a row to get that bill over its line in the committee, at least. Um, and as I mentioned, they again voted like the Senate Armed Services panel did to increase the top line for their defense authorization by about $25 billion more than what President Biden wanted. Um, So that's going to, again, need to be worked through, although making the House and Senate bills closer makes it easier to wrap up that negotiation between the two of them. Uh, But there's a lot of issues at play there. Afghanistan is going to be a big one because even in the committee level, they are calling for some investigations about the whole process in Afghanistan over two decades, but specifically what happened in the last few weeks and months as we prepare to leave there. So that's going to come into the fore there. And there's also going to be a big debate over what to do about handling um, sexual assault claims and with the military justice system, how that's going to play out. So that bill is usually a big lift in the House and the Senate floors. They still have to get through that um, and then try and come to consensus by the end of the year on that, which is usually the goal. They've done that for many decades in a row. They're not going to try and uh, you know miss that deadline again. It seems like by taking all of these issues simultaneously, the all of the military issues, the relief issues, the infrastructure issues, and the regular budget, instead of serially, that it makes the whole thing slow down, doesn't it? 
It can, but there are different committees that work on these things in piecemeal. So every committee almost is involved in this reconciliation process, but leadership is going to have a hard time here because they're the ones trying to cobble together the votes to get these things through. And Nancy Pelosi had a lot of talks in the two days that the House came back in August to get this budget reconciliation process moving and get an infrastructure bill scheduled while also dealing with voting rights because they passed a voting rights bill while they were here in that two-day window. So, you know, a lot to juggle, a lot to do, a lot of pressing deadlines, and then there's always the unexpected things like a hurricane and a tropical storm cutting through a wide swath of the country. And briefly, what about that debt ceiling? They have to formally vote to raise it, and they have not. Correct. They have not, and they made it harder because they could have wrapped this into the reconciliation process, but procedurally did not do so. But by October or November, the government's ability to work within the debt ceiling, which came back into effect in August, won't be there anymore. So they either need to suspend it for a certain period of time, as they've done in the past, or raise it. And Republicans so far don't seem to want to go along with that, and they will have a say in the Senate because that could be a 60-vote item in that chamber. Or they could raid the TSP to cover it. Well, they do that, but that's, you know, that's one of the extraordinary measures, as they call them. Um, But those can only last for so long. Lauren Duggan is editorial director of Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive by subscribing at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. What I mean by that is, um, 
the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. 
and I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zell. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.